take your Bibles to Psalm 31. We're going to continue with this. Uh, I'm excited to uh, be able to park in one passage for these number of weeks and be able to just to dissect this and pull out exactly what God was teaching us and saying through this and uh, Psalm chapter 31. It's, it's about David was saying, you are my God. He made it personal. Say, man, I, I know you. You know, there's certain people that you think you know, but you don't really know. I was, I was uh, talking to somebody this week, and we were telling stories, and I was like, you know, out of all the people that I know, uh, besides outside of my immediate family, my kids and my wife, uh, I know Pastor Dave very well. And some of you would be like, I know Pastor Dave. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny. We, we shared a bedroom growing up together. Uh, we, 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 we took karate together. Uh, we, we did, I just, it was just every aspect of my life was around Pastor Dave. When you spend a lot of time with somebody, you get to know them very well. I was, I was thinking it was funny. It's like Pastor Dave was complaining about my driving. And when we were kids, we would take our uh, big giant van to, to school. We, we were not the cool kids by any means, okay? Other kids were coming in and, you know, their, their fancy Mustangs and all this. Others said we had the family van. The, not, not, I'm not even saying a minivan, okay? Kids today would say minivans are ugly. This was one of those big economy vans, you know. Uh, some of them have the ladder up the back of it. I don't even know what the purpose of that. I'm talking the big ugly van. And we would drive to school and... Uh, Pastor Dave slept every single morning on the way to school, every day. It's, I, it's like, you complain about my driving. You slept every time we got in the car. And he would fall asleep in the seatbelt. And I, vi- I can visualize this so well. He would fall asleep and then fall forward, and the seatbelt would catch him. And he would just, this would be him all the way to school, just, just hanging there like this. And that was our, our, our entertainment. So it's not even like he was worried about keep, keeping me awake. And I'm the one that worked a second shift job and everything like that. But I, I got to know Pastor Dave really well. And somebody the other day was telling me they, they saw a dessert out or whatever. And so a piece was missing. And they said, I bet you that was Pastor Dave. And I said, that wasn't Pastor Dave that had that. And they said, well, you don't even know. I said, no, I know it wasn't Pastor Dave. Can anybody tell me in here right now why you know that wasn't Pastor Dave? He doesn't do desserts. So the more you get to, to know somebody, Pastor Dave gave up desserts like 10 years ago. So uh, he, he doesn't do cakes and candy bars and all that other stuff. It's just the decision that he made. So you get to know somebody when it comes to that. Now, if somebody came to me and said, I saw Pastor Dave at Waffle House at 2 a.m., I was like, that's probably legit, okay? Don't, I don't understand his thing with that, but uh, that would be, if, if you told me you saw him at Starbucks twice in one day, that's probably legit, Okay. Dave has an obsession with coffee. Uh, I think that kind of runs in our family and things. But there's certain characteristics. So when, when you say whether that's true or not true, the closer you are to that person, the, no, the, no you know, the, the more you know their character, the more you know their attributes. D- David was getting to know God. And we talked about last week about the distress that David was in. David was fearful, doubting, tired, overwhelmed. David felt trapped. He wasn't shy about telling us what he was going through. He, was, he just wrote it out. He was telling us. And we identify with that. We should identify what he's going through. But in the middle of that, he said, Into thy hand, in verse 5, Psalm 31, verse 5, Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of emet, or truth. It's the Hebrew word, emet. So much deeper than just, O God of truth. Which truth means so much. But the Hebrew word actually means faithfulness too. It means stability. That word means consistency. 
He's saying, God, you, 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 I, I'm going to put my hand, all of my troubles and all of my fears and everything that I'm going through, I'm going to place into your comfort or place into your promises because I know that I can because you are stable, you are faithful, you are consistent. I can trust you. That's what David was saying in that passage. He said, I, I have confidence in this. And his spirit was literally the inner man. It was everything that he listed. You are, my doubt, my fear, my overwhelm, my, uh, my weariness, all that stuff. He said, I'm going to do that. Because of the faithfulness, and I won't go into it, but we brought out the first two verses about how David was claiming God's promises. He said, in thy righteousness. Meaning if you say something, it has to happen. You can't go back on it. You cannot lie. He talked about claiming the promises of God. And then he says, Lord, be thou my rock by the next verse. He says, you are my rock. He said, man, I was, I, was, I was without strength. And God, you gave me strength. You gave me stability. He was talking about this. It was a personal connection. <clears throat> but we have to understand what he was saying with this. And this, this rests upon a lot of what we're talking about today. And read verse 5 again with me. He says, into thy hand. Now, that, that is such a visual, and I, 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 I kind of touched on this last week, but I don't know how far we went into into thy hand. Now, a parent would understand this illustration because if a kid gets hurt, what do they do? They turn around, they look for mom and dad, wherever they're at, if they're in a, uh, a group or at, at a family reunion or whatever, they're crying, they turn around, they start yelling mom and dad, and they put their hands out, right? They're, they're running like this, mom, dad, whatever. And the parent that knows that kid or claims that kid will turn around then and extend their hand to that child. And that child runs up and runs into those arms or those hands or that place of protection. Now, the, the reality is nothing's changed. You guys know what I'm saying? It's, it's not like whatever they were afraid of, like, disappeared. If, if, they, if they fell and scratched up their knees or their hands, it didn't instantly go away. It was something about that place of protection they ran to that place. They ran to that relationship. They ran to, have you ever been there before? You see your niece or your nephew and they're doing that. They say, oh, come to Uncle Tony or whatever. And they're like, you know, like playing football. They're like, no, you know, they just push right past you. They, they're, they're going straight to mom and dad. They, they want nothing to do with anybody else. They're running to that place of the met. That place that they can trust. That place of consistency. That place of safety. Even in that spot, you'll sit there and they're crying and they're crying. You're holding on to them and you're rocking them. Oftentimes they fall asleep and you're like, how in the world did you just go from being so afraid or so upset or so to falling asleep? Because they, they're resting in that place of security. Now, and I know that's easy for us to visualize when it comes to kids, but that's what the visual was when he says, into thy hand I commit my spirit. The same thing that Jesus said on the cross, and if you go through scripture, it was said in other places. It was actually said in history of other places, uh, people that on their deathbeds they've said this. Let's take this thought a step further. Look at verse 16. Make thy face shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. It's, it's the same thing again. That the, the face of God, when you say, let me see thy face, it's literally, I want to encounter your presence. Or be right here with me, is what he's saying in this. I want to experience your presence. Verse 20, he says, thou shalt hide them in the secret of the presence of thy presence from the pride of man. To be alone with God, to be connected with God. All of these things that he experienced, the faithfulness and the goodness of God that we're going to get into today 
was from him engaging, embracing, and stepping into the presence of God. Let me say something to you guys because I love you. And everybody watching online, I love you. I I, I want you to hear my heart when I say this. If your only spiritual experience or your only encounter with God this week is what you're doing right now, it's weak. It's really weak. You're not going to get to truly, fully understand who God is and the character of God and, and the security of God and the peace of God by just popping into a location on the weekend. David was talking about you are my God because he was in the hard place and the good place and the ups and the downs. It's a consistency of being in that place with God. David found something from this. David begins to express what he had because we, we see the conversation going from in my distress and in my fear to listen to verse 19. Oh, how great is thy faithfulness. Which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off before thine eyes. Nevertheless, Thou heardest the voice of the supplications when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful. He is plentiful, rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Now let me go back, and then we'll break this down as we go through this. Verse 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness. Now, I, I read something like that, and I'm almost, like, frustrated, okay? You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, come on, David, be real. Don't, you know, have you ever gotten around super spiritual people, and they just kind of make you nervous? You know what I'm talking about? The ones that are, never have any problems and are always on that, you know, like, God is good and God is great. And I'm not knocking that at all. But it's almost, if it's, it, I, I love that when it's real, okay? I, I can't stand fake. I cannot stand fake. And God doesn't like fake either, by the way. God wants you to be real and authentic and raw and, and to be able to, you know, when the Bible says casting your care upon him for he care for you, literally whatever cares are on your life, he wants you to dump in there, not just repeating words as you pray and you sound all spiritual. David wasn't trying to sound all spiritual here. He was literally stating or, or expressing the fact that he'd experienced the goodness of God. Here's how I can prove this to you. Look at the very wording of how he said this. If I was to say God is good, I would just say, like, just as making a statement, God is good. But that's not what David said in this passage. David wasn't just regurgitating, you know, facts that he knew about God. If I was to tell you guys about something that impacted my heart or I was excited about, whatever, it's like, I try a new restaurant or whatever, and, and somebody comes back and says, man, how was that restaurant the other day? I would turn around and do something like this. I would be like, oh, man, it was so good. I'll tell you what, I'm definitely going back. You go to a movie and you see something, and you say, man, that was amazing. You go, oh, let me tell you about it. You know what I'm saying? There's an expression that goes with it. David was saying this thing, and he goes, oh, how great is thy goodness. It was not just telling information. It was an expression of an experience. It's not something you can just 
<clears throat> walk around and tell people all the time and just say, well, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. David was literally saying, man, I, I stepped into something in the middle. Now, David is still going through the trial. He's still going through the heartaches. He's still feeling trapped in all this. But in the middle of that, circumstances can be bad, but that doesn't mean that God's still not good. It's hard to explain this. So this is the only thing that I knew to get you through this is I have to take the first half of this or most of this morning and just explain the goodness of God. And then, then we'll take the application of three things that David taught us through this. David was saying in verse 19, an expression or a response to an experience, oh, how great is thy goodness. And he's saying it to God as he's saying this, as he's going through this. But I'm going to ask you the question, do we fully understand the word good? Because we use the word good all the time. It's like, man, that, that guy is a really good mechanic. You know, it's like, it's like, man, that was a really good dinner. That was a really good vacation. It was, normally, it's an expression of something pleasant. You know what I'm saying? That tasted really good. Uh, it's, it, but it has to go deeper than that. It, it has to be more than just pleasant feelings or pleasant experience. According to the Bible, it is also a moral standard. If in the very beginning in Genesis, he said there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was, it was a matter of the opposite of evil. There's, there's two sides of this. There's good and there's evil. Uh, when God created everything at the very beginning, and he said he created the sun, moon, and stars, and he created the oceans, he created the fish, he stood back and he said, it is, it's good. It's good. And, and that wasn't just saying that it was pleasant. He was saying that it was, it was right. It functioned right. It operated correctly. It, it accomplished a purpose. It's the opposite of evil. It is a de- de- declaration of that which is right. Let me make a statement with this so we help us understand. Doing good does not always feel right. Because if we make it as just something pleasant... And then we start doing something that is uncomfortable. And we say, well, that can't be good. No, then you're not fully understanding the word good. When you confront a problem in your family, you confront a problem with a friend, or you, a pastor confronts a problem from the pulpit, you are doing good, but it is very uncomfortable. Have you ever had to do that with somebody? You go up there and just say, man, I hate to tell you this, but the other day, uh, you really offended me with how you said that. It's like, well, this feels really good. No, it doesn't feel good at all. You're dreading the whole conversation. You're dreading walking in there. It doesn't feel good. But only good can come if you do it. You can't have relationships that are getting off and things like that. Confronting is, does not feel good. But the right thing to do is, is to bring, bring about good, is, is to confront. Let me ask you a question. Maybe we'll put this in a way that we'll all understand. How many of you would say in church that going to the gym is a good thing? Raise your hand or shout at me or whatever. Okay, a lot of you are not raising your hand. Is that just because you really don't know that going to the gym is a good thing? <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to say that because my wife will call me out on it. So I'm just not going to say anything. Going to the gym is a good thing. Working out, exercising, running is a good thing. You don't believe me? Go to your doctor and say, Does it, is exercise, would you ever recommend exercising? And the doctor's going to look at you like, I say that to you every time. It's a good thing. But let me ask you, if you go to the gym and you've not been there for a while and you work out, does it always feel good? No. I was, the, the other day I was uh, t- 
telling Jenny over and over again. I was like, man, I need to get back to the gym. I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. Finally, I just went. Pull up in the parking lot. I sat there for a minute thinking, I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. I went inside and you think, well, once you get going, you're going to enjoy it. The whole time I'm on the treadmill and I'm doing different things, I'm sitting there, I, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do this. He say, but here's the thing, Tony. Once you get done and you get home, you feel so good. I felt terrible when I got home. And then I woke up the next day and I couldn't get out of bed. I was so sore and so miserable and I was just like, and it went on for a couple of days and you sit there and say, well, that was a really good thing you did. I'm like, no, it was not a good thing that I did. It felt terrible. Here's the thing that we have to understand. And in and, and just so in that situation, it was a great thing that I did. It was an important thing that I did for my health. It was a good thing. Good things don't always feel like good things. They don't. That's where our flesh gets in the way of misunderstanding God. Let me explain to you the attributes of God or this attribute of God. God is good, period. It's not that he just does good. It's not that he's up and down. It's not that he's waver. God is good. The Bible says in Psalm 25, verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. God is good. Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. There's no representation of bad in God ever. There cannot ever be anything that God does where God touches that can be bad. Never. God cannot deal with evil. God cannot produce evil. Everything that he does brings about good. So let, let me, we, we need to understand the goodness of God. Let me break this down into two parts. Number one, good is who he is. It's who he is. It's, 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 he, is he is morally right and fair. He, 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 that's who he is. There's no wrong, no evil in God whatsoever. He always does good. The goodness of God is the opposite of evil. In the Bible, Pastor Dave preached on this passage a couple of weeks ago. In John 10.10, 10, The thief cometh not but to steal, <clears throat> to take from you, to kill, to take life, and to destroy, to ruin. But God said, I am come, the opposite, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So the whole thing that God was teaching us is this. God, good is who he is, but good is what he does. Everything that God teaches and everything that God does, when God steps into your marriage, he's going to make it better. When God steps into your dating relationship, he's going to make it better. When God steps into your career, God's going to make it better. Because that's all that God can do. It edifies, it builds up, it improves. If there's a relationship that you are in, and it is bringing you down, it is not good because what God does in everything that he does is he builds up and he edifies. Now, it doesn't always appear this way in our minds. The Bible says in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God said, let me tell you, I, I'm never up and down. Every good gift comes from God. He says, I'm never going to be like you. And somebody could say, Pastor Tony, are you a good dad? I'm going to say there's aspects of me that I, I, I'm good and I'm faithful, whatever. But at the same time, sometimes I get mad and sometimes I get lazy and sometimes I get frustrated. So, I, you know, and sometimes it's, it's up and down like that. With God, there's no up and down. It's never going to be like, oh, I think he's mad or I think. No, God says everything that I do consistently is good to benefit. It's always righteous. It's always that. Let me explain this a little more. 
Sometimes we just think it is material possessions, the goodness of God, like a, like a bonus check, a new car, or a day off work. We say, man, that was really good. But good is also the things that God does that brings about things to be better, things to be improved. I don't, I don't have the pictures for this, but I explained this a couple years ago. I was given an illustration of me going to my mom and dad's house. My mom and dad were at the place that they couldn't do remodeling things themselves. And mom says, I feel like when you step on the floor, you almost can fall through it. I was like, well, that sounds bad. So I went down there and literally it was like rotted all the way through. There was a leak in the wall and it was doing that. So I, I get in there and I had to rip out the floor, a subfloor. I, I had to jack up some of the foundation. I had to replace things. So I had this picture of me in the middle of doing that that was like, Everything was ripped out to the studs, insulation hanging out everywhere, pipes are hanging out. And you look out there and say, well, that ain't good. You know, you know what I'm saying? You'd look at that, you'd look at that picture and say, look at, the, look, look how good this is. And you say, no. But the idea is if God steps into something to improve it, the good is also uncomfortable because God has to pull the wrong out that is uncomfortable and hurts and it doesn't feel good to make you better the same way as putting weight on you and say, this doesn't feel good. And God says, if I'm ever going to make you stronger or better, then things have to be put on you that don't feel good, that, but make you good, make you better. That's what God does. It's not just a finished product because there's a verse that we say all the time. We say this, all things work together for good. So if God steps into your life, God's going to start moving things out, adjusting things in your life, even tearing things down. God could even in your life do this. You have a job, you're making good money. You're, you're like, man, this is the best thing ever. And all of a sudden, God pulls that job out of, your life, out of your life. And you're sitting there saying, I don't understand. I needed that job. That was a good job. It paid the bills and everything. But also you were on the verge of divorce because you were never at home with your wife. You were never at home with your kids. It strung you out all the time. And God says, it might not feel good, but what I'm about to do is going to bring about good because I have good that I want to be in your life. So if we go by feelings and just things that are pleasant to us, we're not going to understand what this truly means. It's the same thing, and I know I'm going, I just, I, to be honest, I didn't fully understand this when I got into this. I, and, and the more I thought about this, if I was to interview any of your kids and say, is your mom and dad good? They would sit there and say, well, sometimes. I'd say, explain that to me. Well, sometimes mom lets me stay up late, which is good. And sometimes mom gives me ice cream after dinner. And sometimes, sometimes we go to the store and mom says, I can pick out something because I was good. Sometimes mom is good. But sometimes mom is not good because sometimes she makes me brush my teeth and go to bed. And sometimes mom, uh, to be honest, you know, I'll tell you the situation where mom brought me to the dentist and they strapped me down and they opened up my mouth and they stuck the thing in there and they drilled out a cavity and it was terrible experience. My mom was not good. And sometimes mom will make me eat my vegetables. And sometimes she'll make me turn off the video games and turn off TV and she'll make me go in there and do my homework and go to bed early. Mom's not always good. Now, if you're going to sit there and, and it's for any adult and say, well, if you ask me, all that was good. It's good. But if sometimes for the perspective, we don't understand what God is trying to accomplish in our life. We start labeling the good in our life is bad. And we start saying God is not immense. God is not faithful. God is not consistent because look at what I'm going through right now. 
I'll be honest, we don't always understand it. I don't understand an 18-year-old boy diagnosed with cancer. I don't understand that. But I do know this. I can stand in the place of understanding that God is always good. Let me give you the application of this. And I promise you my introduction was way longer than my actual message. Verse 19 again. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. David was experiencing God's goodness in the middle of brokenness. Okay, circumstances around you does not change the character of God, okay? David was saying in this, he said, verse 19, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. This is, this is a cool principle that God was saying to this. He was saying that God is not lacking in goodness. God's not lacking in improving your life. God's not lacking in the ability to change your addictions. God's not lacking the ability to improve your marriage. God's not lacking the ability to overcome anxiety. God's not lacking the ability to overcome the fear that you have in your life. Those are all the goodness of God because goodness of God is the righteousness of God to make things better and to prove or to change your mental state. That's what the goodness of God is. And David was explaining, he said that God has laid up the idea in the, the Hebrew there was like a storehouse or silos. Even some implications of what we would even have like hoarding. It's like it's built up. God was saying, you don't understand. What I have available for you is the goodness of God to step into your fear, your overwhelmness, feeling stuck, your anxiety. God was saying, I, I have it all. It's not, we don't understand that. Because you're about to experience something that's going to be really frustrating, okay? It's going to be ordering online during Christmas. Back orders and delays, I promise you it's coming, okay? Like a situation. When you ask for God for something, it's never back ordered or delayed. It's not that he has to find it or build it up and, and to be able to make it access. So here's what David was teaching us. To embrace his goodness. Because here was it where David was at. Here's where a lot of us are at. God, I'm caught in the net. I'm trapped. I feel overwhelmed. Lord, I have fear on every side. God, I, 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 I feel overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm all this. But then David noticed this, that God was sitting there saying like this. This is the hand of God. And he said, but into thy hand I commit my spirit. God was literally saying, here, come here, come here. Let me show you something. Come on, come on, come on. Where, where, where God was trying to pull him in it was that secret place that we talked about. Come into my presence. See my face. God was literally trying to say, get up from where you're at. Because a lot of times, I think maybe it's just that we really enjoy the sulking. We like the attention we get on Facebook. We like to spiritually suck our thumbs. It's easier to whine about our situation rather to embrace what it was. Let me read this verse to you again. Oh, how great is thy goodness... Don't just leave it there. Which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. Did, did, did you see what? He said it's not just laid up for them. It's laid up for them that fear thee. Now we've got to understand the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is not being afraid of. It's, it's, a, it's a proper respect. It's, it's if you were going to meet somebody uh, that was of a position or authority, you would respect them. You would say you would honor their position. 
Okay, so that, that's what he was saying. I understand who my God is. I understand that he is the master of the universe, the author of everything. I understand that. What David was teaching us is to embrace the goodness of God. In the middle of being, I am in trouble, when he said, my eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly, he felt weak and broken, all this other stuff, and this is all true, but you don't have to stay there. There's another passage that kind of lays this out. It's, it's right after this. When they were talking three chapters later, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. You know, trust is an action. Tasting and seeing is an action. If, if I told you guys right now, or I am telling you guys right now, next week we're going to have biscuits and gravy at 930 in the morning, okay? The only way you're going to have biscuits and gravy and see that it is good of what I'm describing is for you to show up and taste it. There's an action there. And I, and I think a lot of Christians right there, they just sit there and say, well, I just don't experience God in that way. And I don't, I, I've never had the faithfulness of God. I have this. And God's saying, will, will you come try it out? Will you, will you embrace and trust and seek and sit and worship and, and, and trust in what God is saying through all this? Even the visual of the hand of God. Because you have to take it. And, and I think some, the same illustration that we opened up with, with, with the kids of sitting there, they get, they get hurt, whatever, and then mom sits there and says, come here, baby, let me, let me help you with this. And then they like, no, and they turn back and they sulk and they throw themselves on the ground. And God just sits there and goes, well, okay, just have your little pity party and throw your fit, whatever. But I'm telling you, you're never going to tap into the comfort and the peace and everything that God offers by throwing yourself on the floor and ignoring what God is offering. There's action on your side. They're stepping into this. Let me read a verse that, that explains this, that Jesus was saying when he was teaching this. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Does that line up with what God was saying right there? The step in the sacred place, grab the hand of God, walk into his presence. You know what, what I'm saying. That's what he's saying. He says, come and yoke, stand with me, walk with me, and learn of me. And this is what you're going to find out. I and meek and lowly in heart. There's a lot to unpack, and I almost went into this. We don't have time. But this is what he said. You shall find rest unto your souls. You know what the rest is? That is the goodness of God. That's what he was talking about. It's the opposite of what the devil does. He felt weak, but God says, I'll give you strength. He felt stress, and God says, I'll give you peace. He, he, he felt distress, and God said, that I can help you overcome God pulls us out of the current state of mind to put us into a place of mental and emotional rest. God does all this, and God promises to do this. The goodness of God does not always feel good, but the goodness of God always brings about good. He says in that last part of verse 19, which thou hast wrought, which thou hast brought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. You say, why can't I experience it? Because I tell you, you have to trust in him. Obey, listen, seek out what he's saying through this. But I love how David testifies from this. He goes straight from this. Watch what he does. He goes, David goes from, oh, how great is the goodness of this. Now look look at verse 21. Look at the next verse that we're getting to. He says, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Now, the word blessed means this, to kneel and worship. It means to testify, it means to brag, it means to honor, it means to thank him. David, once he understood, when God was opening his eyes to him, David responded, began to praise him for his goodness. 
Can you see David doing this? And I, I tell you, we, we all get in that place when we look around and we're like, man, I'm running for my life. And if I go out, I'm going to get caught in the traps of the enemy and I'm overwhelmed and I just can't do this. And I, somehow David had this encounter with God in this moment. And then he was like, oh, wow, look at the goodness of God. But once he had his eyes open to what God brought into his life, you know what David began to do? Bless the Lord. There's a natural reaction that should come into our lives. You know, there's a, there's a song that we used to sing. My, my mom's favorite song when we were kids, uh, and we'd sing at Thanksgiving, was count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. What God was beginning to do was just tell David, you need to begin to open your eyes and be able to see what God is doing in your life. To count your blessings. He, this, is, this is cool what he said in this passage. Blessed be the Lord, and this is why, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. The strong city was the place where he was at. It was kind of the rock or the high tower. There was no specific uh, you know, city that he was in. It was just a strong city. He was describing his position. But David said this. He said, he has showed me his marvelous kindness. Kindness is an act of improvement or something that is done. We, we all know the idea of the word kindness. But he said, marvelous kindness. Do you know what the word marvelous is? Is the idea that we get to marvel at something, to stand in awe. A lot of times in the Bible, it describes it because it means something that is divine. Something that only God can do. Something, when God, when God touches, and you sit there and say, like, let me go back to that remodeling of the bathroom illustration. And you sit there and say, man, you, you get through that and say, man, I thought there was a time that we weren't going to make it because things looked way worse than when we could even imagine. But what God was doing is his goodness in that relationship was moving things around and remodeling and taking out the bad and the rotten wood to get you to this place. But David turns around and says, oh, wow, only God could have done that. Because in my flesh, we were arguing all the time. In my flesh, we hated each other. But there was a touch of God, a marvelous kindness that God did what only God could do. There's things that... God has done and God is doing in our lives right now and we just don't open our eyes to recognize it. You know, I thought about, um, I was talking to somebody right before service and we were talking about this situation with Logan and uh, just everything that we've been through and stuff. It, it would be easy to just be upset about the 50 some days that we've been in the hospital and all the chemo and all these other things. But then you turn around and I look back and I'm thinking, do you guys remember when we brought Logan up on the stage at the beginning of our journey? We prayed over him. Bob Morcom was the guy that I asked. And Bob said, what do you want me specifically to pray for? And I said, I'm asking you this as a dad. Pray that God takes away that cough that's, making, that's a sign of the cancer pushing on his lungs. Two weeks later, Logan was done with that cough that was pushing on his lungs. Sit there and say, you know what that is? My eyes are open. I could sit there and say, oh, this isn't right. And God says, what about my marvelous kindness unto you? What about the fact that with your first scan, it shrunk 16%. And by your third scan, it had shrunk 40-some percent through that course. Only God could do that because they didn't even know if chemotherapy was going to work. What about the fact that at the beginning of our journey, they said surgery is not an option. But a week from tomorrow, we're sitting down with the surgeon to plan out the surgery because now it is an option. 
You sit there and say it's not possible. A lot of times we get so wrapped up in what is not right that we need to turn our eyes on the blessings. And God says, let me show you what I've done because then that's when it turns in, blessed be the Lord, for God has done marvelous kindness unto me that I did not deserve. We can be blinded. Let me tell you, it's the same thing for us as Americans. Are our gas prices up? Yes. Do I like it? No, I do not. Is, is it frustrating everything going on around us? Yes. Man, do we get upset with politics and COVID changes and vaccine this and no vaccine that? And, ah, and we get so mad that all of a sudden all that comes out of our lips is complaining. I was talking to a lady. Her name is Sana. She's a friend of mine. She's in Pakistan. And she has been following my journey. Her church and her friends and their, everybody prays for Logan all the time. And they're just like huge encouragements to us. And I asked her the other day, I said, hey, uh, how are things going with you? I'm like, well, how are things with you? And she said, it's okay. Right now, there's a lot of unrest and we're not really even able to leave our house. And I thought, man, we're spoiled. We're spoiled as Americans. We're spoiled to be able to live here. We're spoiled the fact that I walked into a church building that advertises outside that we are a church and I carried the word of God and I did not have to go to an underground church today because God is good. But are we blinded to that? You know why we're doing next Sunday? I'll tell you why we're doing next Sunday because we're going to sit down and we're going to brag on our God and we're going to worship our God and we're going to thank be. Blessed be God that has done marvelous kindness to us. David went from, I am trapped, to, oh, look at the goodness of God, to blessed be God. But notice how he ends this passage. Now, he, he, he says in this next verse, he said, For I said in my haste, I am cut off before thine God, from thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplication when I cried unto thee. He said, man, I said really fast that, man, it's not working. God's not good. God's not working at all. But I said it in my haste. I jumped the gun. Because God, like the song Waymaker, he's always working. He never stops working. Even when I can't see it, he's working. Let me tell you this. If God is in your life, God is working everything out for your good. Because it's who he is. And it's what he does. David ends with hope. I love this. How he says this in this next passage. In these next verses. So David embraces the goodness of God. The extended hand. And what he promised. uh, Claimed the promises of God. He praised him for his goodness. But then David challenges us. Notice how he turns it outward. Because anytime that you've been through something. You say man God is good. And God brought me through something. We brag on God. Notice how he does this. Oh love the Lord all ye saints. Do you notice that? Now he's saying, all you saints, he's pointing to us. Oh, love the Lord. And by the way, this isn't like a you should love God kind of thing. It wasn't yelling or demanding. It's the idea of, let me tell you how great it is to step into fellowship with him. To get to know him. To really, really get to know him. And I would challenge you guys this week. If, if, if you're here right now and you say, I don't even know where to start. We're reading Psalm 31 right now. Tonight, read Psalm 32. The next day, Psalm 33. And learn what he wants to be in your life. He was saying, Oh, love the Lord, all ye saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful. He is plentiful, rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. The last thing is he's challenging them to hope, find, it, find hope in his goodness. 
for you to find hope in his goodness. David says this and to all those that feel helpless and overwhelmed because David was like, I know if I'm here, other people are going to be here. He says, oh, love the Lord, all ye saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful. Preserveth the faithful. Let me put it like this. This is what David was saying. He was testifying of this. He, 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 he rewards those or punishes those that are the proud heart or the enemies, but he preserveth the faithful. God, David was saying this. He says, hey, I didn't know this, but God was working in my problem when I didn't know it. You say, why is that? Because that's just what God does. God doesn't see problem be, and, like evil and be like, oh, okay, whatever. No, that's not who he is. He is righteous. He is that righteous judge that we talked about. God cannot be in a situation and not make it right. So if there is wrong in your relationship, if there is wrong in your life, if there is opposition and you pull God into that, you cannot have the presence of God and God ignore what is wrong. God is going to go active in your problem. He's going to uphold like he promised in there. He's going to uphold the faithful. He's going to uphold those that trust in there. And he will deal with the problem. But I love how he says this in this last verse. Imagine David being there and encouraging you. This is you, okay? You're just down and out. I don't want to go. Have you ever been in a spot where you're just like, I just don't want to do this. Just tired. Actually, in your mind, you're thinking, I can't do this. I can't. But notice what he says. He says in that passage, be of good courage. Did you notice how he opens that up? He says in that, he says, be of good courage. You know what that is? That, that is that person. This is you right here. David standing up saying, you can get up and you can face what you're dealing with. You say, how is that? Because God's going to strengthen your heart. God's going to marvelously kindness, marvelous kindness. God steps in and does what no one else can do. God can reach your heart. God can minister your heart. God is saying, be of good courage. You know what that be of good courage is? Get up and keep going. Be of good courage. Get up and keep going. Get up and keep going. Get up and I can't. He says, I'll tell you this. You get up and keep going. God will strengthen your heart. God will give you the ability to face that next step, that next day, that next problem, that next fear. God will do it. And I love, he says, this is for all those, David's like, this is for all those that hope in the Lord. You know what hope in the Lord is? The hope is the anticipation or the mental process of knowing that things and hoping things will get better. I, I, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope the weather improves. I hope I get that raise. I hope my finances improve. It's anticipation. He said, this is the thing is you can hope in the Lord because I can promise you this. If you have God, if you hope in the Lord, not in finances, not in government, not in Democrats or Republicans, but you hope in the Lord. God says you can have the anticipation and the knowledge of knowing that God is at work and God will make it better. Because God knows how to do nothing other than good.